Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, I'm Joseph Aiken, one of the pastors here on staff. Um, our actual lead pastor is on vacation today. It's his birthday. All right, so he chose, like many of us do, is to skip work on our birthday. Uh, and you can tell him I told you that because he already knows for all of you. Uh, but we're, we're going to do something real quick because I'm pretty sure Chris, even though he's on vacation, he's probably watching us right now. So on the count of three, we're going to say happy birthday, Chris. All right, one, two, three. Happy birthday, Chris, wherever you are. All right, so uh, if, you, if this is your first time here, we're in a series called Freedom, where we're walking through the book of Galatians, uh, where Paul has been uh, challenged. People think he's a false teacher. They've challenged him on his teachings that he preaches one thing to the Gentiles, another thing to the Jews, and so they don't like it. And so he's, he wrote this letter to the Galatians to refute all that they were saying. And so last week, Chris kind of brought up how Paul came to Peter, gangster-like. Uh, for those who have never heard that word, gangster, not gangster, uh, it's with the A, gangster, it just meant bold. It means bold. So Paul was real bold, walks up to Peter and says, hey, man, you're teaching the wrong thing. Right? And he challenges Peter and the other Pharisees uh, more so about what we're going to, but teaching the right thing about who we're justified through. Amen. And what God has called us to do. And it's not about uh, where you come from. It's not about your race. He brought us some things about that. It's not if you're Jew or Gentile. That doesn't matter. We're all one underneath the gospel. And the gospel is right here on the shirt. He came. He died. He rose. He ascended. And he's coming back again. Amen. Amen. All right. And so, again, you may see a phone number or you will see a phone number on all the slides. This phone number is for you to make questions and comments that you have. You can text us. I'm assuming, of course, if you have your phone out, that's what you're doing or you're reading your Bible. But feel free to do this. Chris loves questions. Uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I hate it. Like, that's my worst slide. I'm going to change it because I hate having to ask people to send questions in on what I do or what I've done up on this stage because I, I get this, like, this kind of anxiety anxious feeling of, man, I didn't perform well if I have all these questions. Or, man, I didn't do good because I have all these questions. Like, like whenever I put that slide up, it is, it is borderline hate. Like, it's the highest level of dislike you can get to right before hate. That, that's me personally. So every time I do that, I try to do it real fast, hoping that no one remembers that there is a phone number on there that is on every slide, and that you actually don't write questions. Right? And so for me, I'm looking forward to all those people who actually know me and know that now that I don't like it to send questions in just because you know that's what it does and brings about this feeling to me. But I've always been like that, this performance kind of mindset and, and wanting to prove something uh, and prove my value through my work, through what I do. Uh, and many of us have been like that. For me, it started probably when I was in elementary school where mom said, hey, I'll give you $5 for an A, $3 for a B, and you get nothing for C's. Um, but she would pay us to do well. And it's like, well, the better I do, the more money I make. And this, this continued on until college, where I knew I had to make good grades to get into, a good, get into a good college. And that college happened to be Baylor University. And sick them. I didn't finish there, just so you know, because it costs too much. But uh, <laughs> just being real, there's a lot of realness going on today. But, um, but what happened was I got to Baylor my freshman year, and it's the week before school starts for all the freshmen. And you're going through this welcome week. And I'm thinking, man, I'm excited about this education I'm about to get over the next four years. I can't wait till I graduate, make the big money, because I was an engineer major. I said, oh, I can't wait. 
and I start meeting like my roommates and all these other freshmen, and they driving up in Lexuses and, and BMWs and Audis. I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is the car I want when I graduate, not the car I got when I was 18, 17 years old. And it's like, oh, I got to work harder. I got to be better. This performance mentality kept going, kept going. My whole life has been transferred, and sometimes we can equate that to our relationship with God. As if I have to prove something to determine my value in him. That his love isn't enough. His love isn't enough. And so what can happen is we resist being justified by faith, by Christ, by what he did on the cross, because our performance determines our value. What I do, how well I do it, determines what I'm worth. My efforts are what are going to get me into the door. Not, not anything else, but how well I do this dictates my relationship and so my relationship with God. And so that's what we can happen because we, all we're doing is taking this worldly mentality, this worldly mindset that your performance dictates your value, and we push that over to our relationship with, with God. Another way we do this is uh, our performance also sustains our value. So your, your performance gets you in the door, and then in order to keep going, that sustainability, you have to keep working hard. I had to keep getting good grades if I wanted that money to get them ice creams off the ice cream truck. I had to keep working, I had to keep working, and that's what happens in our relationships. I have to keep working hard. I have to, I have to, I have to. On a job, I have to keep working as hard as I can. I don't, I don't give God the ability to do what God does and work through me. It's all about me. My sustainability is on me and my efforts and what I do. If I fail, it's going to be on me. And the last way, or another way, and I'm sure there's more than this, but another way is we conform to the values of others. That peer pressure. It didn't just stop in high school. Because even now, there are some of us, a few of us who came and were like, ah, I don't know if I want to wear this. I wonder what people would think. Or I don't have enough education. I don't, I don't fit in where I work at. I'm not as smart as the person next to me. I don't make as much money. It was me. I don't drive the, the best car in the lot. And, and, and we begin to allow those different things to dictate, dictate our value as if our value wasn't good enough with God coming and then dying for us on the cross and then being rose from the dead and ascending to heaven knowing that he's coming back again as if that wasn't enough for us. And so that's where we're going. Uh, will you pray with me? God, we thank you and we love you for who you are. God, you are more than enough. I pray for all the people that are sitting in these seats, God, that uh, they can pull out those spiritual ears and hear a word from you, God. I pray the walls get knocked down, God, that we become more like you uh, because of you, God. God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, if you would like to keep this Bible, it is yours to keep. Take notes in it, all that good stuff. Our gift to you. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And it starts, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I'll pause right there real quick just to give you an understanding. All right, so remember, Paul just got done stepping up. Uh, against Peter and all those Pharisees, and he's saying, we ourselves are Jews. What he's saying with this comment is a lot. He's telling them, hey, we've had access to the law. First off, we grew up in the law, practicing the law. And then when he calls them Gentile sinners, oh, that's definitely a, a 
not a good thing. But what he's saying is they can't even possess the law. They don't have access to it. And what I like about what Paul does is he's setting them up. We can call this an alley-oop, right? Because Paul is pretty cool with it. If you read his letter, he's setting them up, kind of bringing them, reeling them in to this point where he's about to show them why their teaching has been false. He's about to, re- about to refute everything that they were saying. So he says, we ourselves are Jews. We have access, possession. We've operated in the law and not Gentile sinners. And so before we move on, verse 16, get ready because I need your participation. All right. So there's three, there's three words in this. Justified. Everybody say justified. justified. Say works, works. and law. law. So just as my t- the teacher in me wants to make sure you're paying attention. So if you're reading in your Bibles or you're reading up here, uh, anytime that word is a, one of those three words are about to come, I need you to say them out loud, okay? All right, talk to me. You got to talk to me. All right, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not by of thee, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be by faith in Christ and not by of thee, because by of thee. No one will be. Look at that. I see all the smiling faces and things like that. You didn't think you were going to have to say nine words. I'm sorry I made you talk. But what I want you to understand is that this is important. You don't say something that many times and it not be of importance. So you might want to write that down. Right? That's important. And so one of the things that happened first service, it was funny. During the passing time, I met uh, one of my students. I won't say his name. From 2015, he came to the church. And I remember him, but I was using him as an analogy because as a teacher, what happens, I was going to use this analogy anyway, it just so happened that one of my students happened to come in church, that when a teacher repeats something over and over, that means it's probably going to be on a test or probably that you need to pay attention, right? And so while I'm doing this, this student was sitting out there, ex-student, because he was graduating and stuff, uh, he was sitting out there, he wasn't even looking up at me, y'all. And the funny thing about that is oftentimes God is telling us some things. He's trying to speak some things over and over and over again, and we're not even listening. Like his, the people next to him tapping him because they're like, you know, he's talking about you right now. <laughs> but we do that in our personal life. When God is trying to tell us something, we don't hear it. We're not listening. Right. And so this is a pivotal moment in this text. This is probably the, the biggest pivot in Galatians, in the book of Galatians right now, because what Paul is doing, he's saying it, the law doesn't justify you. And so up until this point, what they're believing is that I'm justified by my works in the law, me doing good, me keeping the law, me eating the right foods, me keeping the Sabbath holy, me being circumcised. That what, what saves me. That's what justifies me up until this point. And so first he set them up and said, we are all Jew, we are Jews and not these Gentiles. And then he says, but he said, we're not justified by the law. And so is, is, it all, is it all right for me to be a little bit real for y'all, a little bit more? And so I'm going to come down a little bit, just talk to you, right? So this is what happens. And this is me. I'm telling you my story, a little bit of my story, so you got to listen. And I'm looking around and make sure you're watching me. But what can happen is, in this case, uh, I was talking to God just about all these things that was going on in my life and what I felt. And I went to God and I said, God, I said, I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I'm enough sometimes in my marriage. I don't feel like I'm enough sometimes in my job. I don't feel like I'm enough in my family. Just life just was hitting me these past few weeks. And I know I got to even preach this. And, you know, while I was doing that, 
I can hear the word of God and I'm studying and I can hear and I'm listening. I say, God, I'm not enough. And, and, and God came with like two words that changed everything. He said, I know. He said, I know you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're a failure because you need me. He said, you keep trying on your own. You keep trying to justify your ways and the different things that you're doing. He said, you're not enough. And every time you try to be enough on, in your power, you will always fail. You'll always mess up. And so this is what Paul is telling them. You're trying to be enough on your own, and you're not enough. What the law proves is that we need Jesus Christ. It proves that. We need Jesus Christ. And so I'm here to tell somebody today that you are not enough. You was worried about being a failure, and that's Okay. You was worried about that secret you have that you don't want nobody to know. That's okay, because God died, Jesus Christ died for our sins. So he died for those you're not enough. He died for the shame that you're feeling. He died for those, those parts where you messed up and you went the wrong way. That's what he died for. And so luckily, what Paul does for us in this section, he introduces what's called the doctrine of justification. This thing where we're justified not because of anything that works, not the works we've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross. Remember, he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back again. This is, this is our justification. This is how we get there. Knowing that, acknowledging that, that I am not enough. I cannot do this on my own, nor should I want to do this on my own, because there is someone who has the pow- power to do it all on his own. And so operating in his strength and not your own strength. Amen? All right, look at verse 17 for me. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were founders to, we too was found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? And so if you're like me, uh, I don't have all these theological degrees, and I'm okay with that. Like I said, there's been times in my life where I felt like I was a failure and I wasn't enough because of certain things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm in this room of people oftentimes where I'm the only one that looks like me. And when I say that, I'm the only African-American male in a room full of 50 pastors at times. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not enough. And God says, you're right, but I am. And so some of you are thinking if you could be the only woman on your job at the level you're at or, or your marriage, you don't know how to lead well and the relationships you have and, and you're tired every single day and God is saying, it's okay, I got you. And so what they want to do here, now what he's refuting in verse 17, he says, okay, let's assume that you pursue Christ and then that you're still found to be a sinner. Is Christ the author? Is he, the, the per- is he allowing you to sin? Almost as if he's giving us a, a sin pass. And that's not what he's doing. See, going to Christ should make you sin less, but it doesn't make you sinless. I say that again. Following Christ makes you sinless. doesn't make you sinless. It just makes you sin space less. Here's an example of that. Uh, I love you, Mom. I just want to tell you that because this is an analogy for her. So uh, everybody made sure first service that saw her to tell her that you were using analogy. So thank you, everyone. But uh, uh, so my love language, my number one love language, uh, if you don't know me, is sarcasm. Uh, 
So the more you, you can tell, like, I mean, I, I show you love in different ways, yes, but when you get in the end, then we're, we're like sarcastic back and forth, and I love that. And so my mom and my relationship, I love her a lot. And so therefore, she gets a lot of sarcasm from me from, because I'm her oldest son, probably her favorite son. Uh, I'm just playing. <laughs> Y'all see my little brother, 6'8". I can't be fighting him right now. Uh, and so what can happen uh, at times is the way I joke and play with her is I call her by her first name. And she dislikes it to the highest level. Dislike probably is a hate thing there. And so I say, Patricia, Patricia, calm down, Patricia. Or what are you doing, Patricia? Boy, if you don't stop calling me. And it's the funniest thing. It's, it's, it's so fun for me to do it, especially like when we're arguing with Patricia. Well, you know, Patricia, and she, she's right now looking at me with the eyes. I'm going to look this way. Uh, I'm going to stop saying your name, Mom. I'm sorry. Uh, but I do that. And so she said, if you don't stop doing that. And so this is about four or five, I guess four years ago, five years ago, maybe when, when our son, J4, first started talking. And he calls my mom, Mamir. That's her grandma's name, Mamir. And I remember one time, instead of calling her Mamir, she said, he said, Patricia. And she looked, and she looked at, she immediately, of course, looked at me. That's good. All right, Patricia. Uh, but the funny thing about that is when we look at this, because uh, some of you will catch this, you begin to emulate or imitate the thing you tend to be around a lot. And so in this scripture, what, what Paul is telling them, if they choose to sin, it's not because they're following Christ. It's actually the very opposite. Christ isn't the author or, or allowing them to a free pass to sin. No. What he did on the cross freed them, and now they have the choice. And so if, the more you sin, what that is telling me is that you tend to hear or, or not be as close and spend enough time with the person that you should be emulating. Because when you're around something enough, you start to pick up the habits of that thing you're around, especially when we're talking about our Lord and Savior. The way I talk should change. The way I act should change. How I say things, who I say things around, everything changes. We can't say that we love something and we spend time with something and not expect change to happen. And so if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't, maybe it's the time you're spending with them. I'm talking to myself right now, not just talking to y'all, but this is what he said. And then, so after he says, is Christ then a servant? He says, certainly not. The highest level of no you can get. He said, heck to the now. He said, for if I rebuild what I tore down, the thing he's talking about rebuilding right now is the law. He said, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. transgressor." He said, if the law was to be put back in place, all the law does is prove that we are sinners in the first place. He said, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He doesn't say the law is dead. He said he died to the law. And this is important. Because in order for the curse of the law to be fulfilled, you have to die. Remember, the wages of sin are what? It's death. And so if I, if I sin, if I mess up, I deserve to die. That, that's, that's the curse of the law. But in order for the curse to be broken, death, uh, death had to happen. And that's why Jesus Christ crucified. He died on the cross. Because I was supposed to die. Just, just imagine... Uh, having to face a death sentence and you're walking up 
and saying, they're just saying next and taking people as is. And Jesus Christ walks up to you and says, hey, I got this. I will take your place. And he dies for you. That's what he did. You, me, we deserved it. And he said, no, nah, I got this. That's what it's saying. Certainly not for our rebuild. So, so, so he's trying to teach them that this law that was in place, while it was good, all it did was prove that we needed Jesus Christ. They observed it. They practiced it to the point to where it removed relationship. And Christ is saying he wants a relationship with us. And that's why he did it. Look at verse 20. Many of you, if you've been in a church for a while, you've seen this verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, this is probably from this point on, it changes a lot of things. This is, one, you, this is one of my favorite scriptures as well. But it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The first thing he said was, I have been crucified with Christ. And if I can for a moment, change the way you look at this scripture. Because he could have said, I died with Christ. He could have said, I rose with Christ. There's a lot of things he can say, but the picture he's trying to paint is that we were crucified with Christ. What does that mean? He says, the position you're in is here, right? And so there are things behind you that you should no longer be able to see because you were crucified with Christ. Okay, there, when, you're cruci- when you crucify something to kill it like that, you're positioning yourself to where you're saying, there are places I won't go anymore. There are things behind me that I won't hold on to. For some of us, it's, it's, it's the shame of what you did. That shame that you're holding on to in the past. For some of us, it's something we did today. For me, uh, I, I've always grown up thinking to myself, you hear people telling you, oh, you're smart, you got this, you got that. You hear certain things, but I've never thought that I was enough. I grew up in predominantly black churches. I've been, when I was 17 years old is when I said I wanted to start preaching. So that's almost 20 years ago. And growing up in the church, one of the things I used to tell myself is, man, I don't preach like that. I don't talk like that. I'm not good enough. And then I feel like God moved me to another church. I said, okay, God, where do you want to take me? He said, well, I want to take you to, well, I asked God. I said, God, I'd like to go to a diverse church. And he brought me to Wells Branch. Right, And the thing about that, as I told you earlier, there are a lot of times where I don't feel like I belong here. There are a lot of times where I feel uncomfortable. There are a lot of times, not a lot, but there's sometimes I want to leave. I'm like, ah, it'd be more comfortable if I go somewhere else. I'm just being real. Because what can happen is we're scared to where externally reveal who we really are. We like to fake the funk, so to speak. We like for people to think that we have everything okay. And every time I approach these moments in my life, I'm reminded that I'm crucified with Christ. I don't walk in Joseph's power because my power is limited. 
I walk in the power of God. I walk in the fact that I know Jesus came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back again. That's the type of power I'm operating in. And so it doesn't matter where I go. If God comes to be there, then I'm supposed to be there. It doesn't matter what relationship I am or who I'm with or what I'm going through. If God called me to be here, then I'm supposed to be here. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter if people judge you for your mistakes. If God called you to be here, if God called you to something, then he's the one that's going to take you through it. We have to stop looking at the lens of our lives through what people perceive us or what society has put on us. What if you, were start, what if you started to see yourself as God sees you? How does he see me? He sees me through the lens of Christ. I'm justified not because of what I did, but because of what God did. And so that brings me to the first point. We are saved by grace through faith. What's cool about this statement, and I love it, is that uh, my salvation has nothing to do with my works. I understand that. But everything to do with my faith in God. And your faith can only be as big as the object of your faith. Let me retract that. Your faith can only be as big as the understanding of the object of your faith. This is what I mean by that, because we serve an awesome God. We serve a big God. But if you don't understand how big he is, then there are certain situations in your life that you will not be able to get through because you don't believe he can take you through it. This is where you begin to operate in your own power and your own will and do your thing, not his thing. So until you understand how big our God is, then your faith in him or your faith becomes limited because you don't know how big he is. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, you dummies, you fools, what's wrong with you? Who has bewitched you? Y'all, he's not calling them stupid, but it's one of those where, have you ever, I was a math teacher, uh, high school math teacher, and high school, math is like the, to me, is one of the worst, it's the most hated subject. I love math. I, I see it in everything. When students ask me, Mr. Aiken, when am I going to use Y equals MX plus B in real life? <sighs> I'll be like, right now, this is real life. <laughs> Get on my nerves. But I used to, I used to, so I, I remember, <laughs> I remember going to a student and them needing to use Y equals MX plus B or slope or something. I said, Hey, Mr. Aiken, I don't know how to do this. Oh, you slope. Then I go back around, check everybody else, and I come back around to them. Mr. Aiken, I think I got it. No, that's not it, man. I showed you y2 minus y1 over x2 minus x1. All right, Mr. Aiken. I go back around. I come back. Oh, my goodness, what are you doing? You get frustrated as a teacher because you're thinking, am I not telling them the right thing? And this is what he's saying. He said, y'all know it. We've said it this before. You've been through this. Haven't I not brought you from some things? Didn't you see what happened? Haven't I not showed you already? He's trying to get them, get them to understand that God has always been doing his thing. He's always taking care of them. That's what he says. Oh, foolish. You dumbass. You've seen this before. Who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that, you, that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. They've seen it. Let me ask you this. Only this. Did you receive the spirit by works or the law or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. This right here, what he's talking about is, he tells them, you started one way, you was good, then you messed up. This is what we call sanctification. Sanctification is the process of God making us look more like Jesus Christ. So you have justification, which is God seeing us, us being presented before God, but him not seeing what we did, but everything that Christ did on the cross. That's sanctification. I mean, that's justification, but then you have sanctification is where God is making us something that only God can do. He's making us look more and more like Jesus Christ. See, what can happen uh, along the way is we keep this mentality of God helps those who that has nothing to do with Bible. That is not Bible at all. God helps those, and, and we, we've all heard it. Some of us believe it, that God helps those who help themselves. That's not scriptural. Not at all. That is not the gospel. It's actually opposite. God helps those who believe in him. Your faith is in him. There is no amount of work that you can do to where he's going to help you more in that sense. God said, I need you to believe in me. I need you to trust me so that I can sanctify you like only I can because you can't do it yourself. So I can help you in this marriage. Don't think that, that I started you on this journey and I'm going to leave you. Because he tells you that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's right there with you. He's always been right there with you. So here we are. We are sanctified by grace through faith. We are sanctified by grace through faith. Through faith. Um, y'all all right? Hopefully, I love the, that y'all are talking back. As, like I told you, I'm a teacher, and so the only thing I'm not able to do up here is take questions. But the, there's, there's a number up there. <laughs> you don't have to write questions. Uh, but, no, this is good. Uh, we are sanctified by grace through faith, and what I love that is that it's a process. For some of us, we don't understand that God has a process for us. And so we can look at the things that we've done in the past and think, well, I'll never be right. Or I'm not as good as this person. And God is saying, it's a process. And if you don't lean into me, then you're stagnant, you're stagnant in your process. You're stagnant. And so we'll, we'll keep going because this is my favorite part right here, this. Because like I said, uh, Paul is cold with it. Y'all ever heard that phrase before? Yeah. Cold with it? Yeah. That just means he's real good. It's like LeBron is cold with it in basketball. So if you, you want to use it, that's the phrase of the week, cold with it. Paul is cold with it. Like he's, he's cool with what he's doing. And so he set them up. He taught, he's teaching them about justification. He's te- teaching them about sanctification. Now he's about to take them to glorification, the next process of this. So look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God. And so what happened is, in this, in this time, uh, they used Abraham, the patriarch of the faith. Uh, you may not know, but Abraham is the godfather. Abraham has many sons. I just want to see if you know the song. All right, we do. We got some vacation Bible school people in here. Uh, that's, this is the Abraham we're talking about. 
And so what happens is they use uh, Genesis. If you want to look this story up that he's talking about, he was a Pharisee too. And so they was using the word. So Genesis 15, uh, 17 is where it talks about uh, Abraham 400 plus years before the Mosaic law was even put in place, had got circumcised and was following the law before it was even the law. And that's, their just, that's how they were justifying the law because Abraham did it. And so that's what's happening right here. And so he's bringing this up because he knows that's one of their arguments that they're using for the justification process through the law. And he says, and it, and it was counted to him as righteousness. righteousness. Know then that it, was, that it is those of faith who are of the sons of Abraham. Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this is just what happens. So Genesis 17 is what the Pharisees used to, to, to put their stamp of approval on justified by the law, by works, what you could do. And what Paul does, he says, no, no, no. See, I know that part. But he said, if you go 10 years before that, they were interpreting the text the wrong way. They didn't go back far enough. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 15, we see the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision. And in this vision, he tells, this is the vision where he tells him, if you, if you can look out and count the stars, that's how many of your offspring you will have. This is where he gives him the promise. And then 15 verse 6, he tells him, it says, Abraham believed. This, that was the first time faith was introduced into the Bible. That word believe is talking about faith. And it said, God reckoned him and saw him righteous, meaning he was justified. Remember, righteousness is justification. And so this is the first place you see this doctrine of justification in the Bible. And what Paul gets them to understand is that they were, they've always been justified and saved by grace through Christ Jesus, through their belief. Even before the circumcision, it was because Abraham believed. It's your belief. It's your faith. By grace through faith, that's where it happens. See, they were trying to use this argument. He had to refute and say, no, no, no. Before he was even circumcised, 10 years before that, he believed. God wants you to believe. And so that's, that's the last thing. We, are all, we, we have always been saved and sanctified by faith. I'm here to tell you this morning that some of us are struggling. We're struggling with where we are in life because it doesn't look like, uh, our life doesn't look like what we planned it to look. The hurdles we've had to jump over, the mountains we've had to climb, it seems like it's always uphill. And I'm here to tell you that if you've been operating in your own power, in your own will, if you've been justifying and trying to sanctify yourself, then your fatigue has came because you're tapped into the wrong power source. Your fatigue has came, you've exhausted yourself because of your strength, and that's what you're operating in. My question for you is, will you be justified? Will you live a life justified by Christ? And this is what I mean. Uh, if you keep operating in your own strength, in your own understanding, in your own power, your own will, you'll fail. I used to do, so I, I was a teacher as well, and I did some personal training and some group fitness stuff. And uh, there was one time where we went hiking. 
And I took J4 with us, and it was like a group of 10 or so, and we go hiking. J4, this is like four years ago, so J4 was about two years old, but he wanted to go two or three years old, and he wanted to go. And so while going on this, this hike up and down and climbing, there's a bunch of rocks. Of course, I'm watching him. There was a point where J4 asked to get on my shoulders. Sure. I know he's tired. He's a little kid. I didn't think he was going to make it the whole time anyway. So I put him on my shoulders, and I'm carrying J4 up and down and up and down. And then at one point, he sees everybody laughing, and it looks fun. He sees everything going on around. He says, Daddy, can I get down? I said, yeah, you can get down. He gets down, takes a few steps, and he realizes that he's still tired. The journey didn't get easier. He saw everybody laughing and playing. It looked like they was having fun. But it wasn't, it was the same. I said, Daddy, can I get back up? Yes, put him back up on my shoulders. And I'm carrying him again, and there was a point again where he said, Daddy, can I get back down? Again, he kept seeing what was going on around him, and he wanted to experience it firsthand. It felt like he had to be down there. Took a few steps. He's like, I'm still tired. Got back on my shoulders. And I told him, I said, Joseph. And I was like, I'm tired too. You can't keep getting up and down. You might have to get on your uncle's shoulders or something. But what, I'm, what I want you to get from that is this. Is that for some of us, we think that being a part of the faith isn't fun. That God carrying us, we don't get to experience everything, but we get to experience it through him. He gets to do the work. We serve a God that won't get tired. You're sitting on his shoulders, one the gown. He's like, I'm not tired. I got you. He's not like me. I, he won't get tired of holding you. He wants to hold you. He wants to be your tour guide on this journey. But you have to trust him and you have to let him. And so this is why we come. To operate and live in that gospel, knowing that he came, he died, he rose, and he's coming back again. Because on that day he was portrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. It's broken for you. As often as you eat, do this in remembrance of me. And I love when Chris says, this bread represents his body, but as we're supposed to be feeding our spirit with, the, with him. I love that. If you're not drawing nigh close to God, then you begin to operate in your own strength. You begin to think that you're the one that can power through this. Then he took the, the wine, which represented his blood. He said, this is my blood, which has been shared for you. This is the new covenant. This is, this, this is what I see. This is how Christ sees us, through his blood, not your own works. There's not anything you can do to get to heaven on your own. You need him. We need to be seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. I'm not good enough. I struggle with that often through my life, through all these various things that told me I had to be this, and I had to do this, I had to have this, I had to have this much schooling, I need to go to this, I need to do that. I struggle with that. But that's because I was trying to conform to the values of others. And I didn't recognize and truly understand that I'm not, my justification in the Spirit justifies me in everything that I do. Me operating in God is where I am justified. Not anything that I can do. Not anything that I can say. That justification process, what it does, it, it, it removes the penalty of sin. And so no, I'm no longer un, under that. The sanctification piece of that moved the power of sin over my life. Now I can choose to emulate and follow Christ. 
And now I'm glorified with him, knowing that I will one day be, be removed and free from the presence of sin. So as our prayer team comes up, as the elders and our prayer teams, as they come up, because we want to pray with you. It's okay to be weak. Because Jesus, we, we see God's strength in our weakness. It's okay to not be good enough. Because Christ fulfilled the law. He was good enough. That's okay. But we have to believe that and understand who he was. It's okay to be uncomfortable because I find comfort in the spirit. And so they're here and we want to pray with you. Who cares who's watching? It doesn't matter. We love you. God loves you. And he wants more of you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. God, we love you for who you are. God, I am not enough, but you are more than enough for me. So, God, I pray right now that as decisions are being made in our hearts and in our minds, that you will be right there. That you will take our hand and we will find comfort in you. God, your will is perfect. Your plan is perfect for our lives, God, and we want to operate in that plan. God, we want to see you more. So I pray, God, that we can draw close to you. Understand that it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. God, through you is how I'm seen. You're not giving me a license license to sin, God, but I should sin less because I'm walking with you. Because you're you're within me. You reside in me, God. So I pray for that person sitting in the seat right now who's tired and weak and think they have to be enough. God, you be their strength. You speak to them them and say, I know you're not enough. But I'm all that you need. So God, we love you and God, we thank you for who you are. All these things we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.